Support for this episode comes from Yakima Chief Hops. Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% farmer-owned hop supplier with a mission to connect the family farms of the Pacific Northwest with brewers across the globe. With a growing competitive market, YCH understands the need to continuously brew exceptional quality beers. This is why YCH is focused on developing innovative hop products and research-based resources that provide real solutions in the brew house and help brewers take their beers to the next level. Yakima Chief Hops works with breweries of all sizes across the globe, from home and nano brewers to craft and macro. To find out more about YCH, visit www.yakimachief.com. There's a strong likelihood that if you're listening to this, you love good beer. There's also a very good chance you might play or have played video games. And if not, I'm certain you know someone that does. Because beer and video games provide enjoyment to literally billions across the globe. And to make your mark in one of these fields is incredibly impressive. But to do it in both, well that's just showing off. Hello and welcome to the Brewer's Journal podcast. My name is Tim Sheehan, editor of the Brewer's Journal. And I'm Ross McPherson. Greg Zestchuk knows a thing or two about running a team. Because before working in beer, the company he co-founded grew to employ 1,500 people at seven locations across the globe. Greg was originally trained as a medical doctor before starting the video game company Bioware in 1995 in his hometown of Edmonton. Bioware created a number of hugely successful games, such as Baldur's Gate, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, Dragon Age and Mass Effect, before being purchased by Electronic Arts in 2007. While a part of EA, Bioware grew to employ 1,500 employees at seven studios across the world. Greg left Bioware in 2012 and after a short hiatus, started working in beer. He went on to start The Beer Diaries, a YouTube channel focused on craft beer and served as the first executive director of the Alberta Small Brewers Association in his home province. This led to Greg starting a brewery in Edmonton. To achieve his brewery goals, Greg built two buildings, the award-winning Ritchie Market and the Monolith. The Ritchie Market is a multi-use building housing a brewery, known as Blind Enthusiasm Brewing Company, a restaurant called Biera, a butcher, coffee shop and a bakery. The monolith was built as a barrel-focused brewery. Out of its market brewery, Blind Enthusiasm focuses on making beers such as lagers. The monolith was built to marry scientific method with tradition while making beer largely in wood. At the monolith, Blind Enthusiasm exclusively makes mixed fermentation and spontaneous beer. Having worked in a variety of different professions across the world, Greg says the key to heading up a team is to ensure you coach people, rather than simply manage them. And at the end of the last year, Greg flew over to London to share his expertise, delivering the keynote address at our very own Brewers Congress event in London. And it's coming up right now for all of you to enjoy. Thanks, Tim. Um, really great honor to be here. Uh, he's stolen my first couple slides of information, so I'm going to slow down, make sure I fill my 20 minutes. 
first off, it's amazing. I've been, I've been at a lot of conferences over my years, mainly in the video game side, some on the brewing. I've never seen it turn out like this first thing in the morning. So <laughs> it is like, you guys are serious. People were dressed up last night. You're here to like bright and early. So um, let me see if I get this right. Yeah, here we go. So I'm uh, here to talk to you not about brewing. Um, so it's, I'm not, I'm, I, I don't really brew. I've, I've helped, I package, I do all the fun stuff associated with brewing, but none of the technical stuff. I've hired folks way better than I'll ever be to do that. Um, I'm talking about managing teams. And as Tim said, I've kind of got a funny career. Um, started as a medical doctor. So I finished medical school, worked as a family doctor for a couple of years, but decided I want to make video games. And it's one of those moments where your parents go like, you want to what? I go, don't worry, I, got, I can always fall back to medicine. I was a family doctor. I worked in what's called geriatrics, so older folks. And then after that, after a couple of years of that, I started a company called BioWare. Uh, BioWare, I'll talk a little more about that in detail, grew to a very large company. We were purchased by Electronic Arts, the guys who make FIFA um, and all that kind of stuff uh, back in 20, 2005. And I left uh, about 2012. So I'll talk about that. And that's me in the brewery trying to look, trying to look real. And like I said, I don't actually brew per se. I help. I've, done, I've labeled every one of our bottles by hand sometimes. It's, it's, a, it's a labor of love, but that's what I, what I do around the brewery, as well as do too many emails and uh, sales, marketing, all that fun stuff. So talking a bit about Bioware, um, those of you that played video games back starting in the 90s to the mid-2000s probably may have played some of our games. Um, the purpose of this slide is twofold. It sort of shows the range of stuff we did, like starting way in the top left corner, Baldur's Gate was done in 1998. And the last game I worked on was Star Wars The Old Republic, and that was re reduced in, uh, uh, released in 2011. Um, one of the things that characterizes this slide is, is not only the projects, but the size of the team. So, Early on, I kind of realized that like, I'm not really good at any one thing. I'm good at lots of random things. So the very first game we made, I worked on animation. I was programming, was writing, designing. And then as we started hiring folks who knew what they were doing, I'm like, well, I'm not, they're so much better than me. What can I do? I can, I can help kind of help them, basically. So first project, Baldur's Gate, was 35 people, then 65 people. Then it just kind of kept growing and growing. Um, these games, like on the top level, were largely PC games, except for Dragon Age. Um, that was a fantasy game that we made that was uh, you know, our versions of Dungeons and Dragons. The first few were Dungeons and Dragons licensed. Then we made a Wuxia game called Jade Empire. Then we did, um, first actually was Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, then the Mass Effect games. This was all on Xbox and PlayStation, been on PC as well. So last one I did was Star Wars The Old Republic, and that one had about 600 people just in one studio and about 900 people in Galway, Ireland in a customer service group. Um, there's about two and a half million people playing the game at its peak, so it still goes on today. It's about 10 years later, it's still running. EA has been reported saying it's grossed over a billion dollars over its history. I left a long time ago. I didn't see much of that, but you know, they, they pocketed it, which is what big companies do. Well, I don't work at big companies. Um, so this is the a kind of a subset of the Star Wars team. So this is so my, in my life I had a really kind of funny circumstance where I went back and forth to Austin, Texas. So this was the studio in Austin, Texas, uh, out front, about 350 people in this photo, I think. Um, so you ask, well, how can you kind of manage a team like that? Well, it's all an issue of subdivision. It's like I had five people that worked with me, and they had five people that worked for them, and it kind of structured the whole thing. I mean, obviously, you know, very few breweries are this scalar size. It's not really what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about the principle of, of, of how you work with teams and the concept of it, not like making giant teams, because in some ways giant teams kind of suck because they like, take a lot of work. Um, I kind of flipped it and went to a smaller team kind of concept, and I'm, I'm actually a small boutique brewery, even do quite a range of things. Uh, I don't want to be like 
working in a big business like that again. It was very, very difficult. And it took me a couple, couple of years to recover from the burnout. And then I got into beer, and it's been all good. So what actually I did when I was in Texas, which was kind of funny, is I made a YouTube show. So I was actually there in like the 2005, 7, um, and actually about 2009 was when I started making it. I actually had the chance to be in Texas when the craft beer boom kind of started there. And so I would actually travel from Canada um, every two weeks, stay there for two weeks and come back. So I live in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I lived in Texas. Um, a lot of us were actually coming from all over the North America to work on this project. Uh, and we were all in the same boat. We were all kind of all... What are we going to do in the evening? It's like, well, what are you going to do? You're going to go to breweries. You're going to go to tap rooms. You're going to meet all these brewers. Um, one of the best things that happened to me was my friend had a house kind of right in this place called Dripping Springs outside Texas, outside Austin, I should say, and right by Jester King. So I got a chance to pop into Jester King a bunch of times in the first couple of years and get to know those guys. And I was super excited about like this concept of entrepreneurship and beer. Like craft beer was just starting at that time, so I actually thought it'd be really fun for me to transition. I knew I was leaving video games. I kind of quit, like, because I was, like like I said, super burned out, and I, I wanted to start this new thing and start this this show. So that was me and my, my uh, creative partner, Mike Mann, on this. Um, interviewed about 35 breweries across Texas and across Colorado. Um, managed to actually get, there's a thing called the public broadcasting system. So there's like this, PBS is a TV channel, one in every city, and they put it on TV in Austin, which was awesome. I always imagine people watching at like 3 a.m. Sunday morning, because that's the only slot we would get. And I'm like, well, hey, you're that beer guy I saw when I was kind of drunk and like it was late at night. Goes, that's me. Um, so I did that for a bit, and then my wife was like, you left video games because you travel too much. You, you kind of like, you know, you, now you've got this idea to make this beer show where you travel all over the world. And I was like, yeah, that's a terrible idea. Um, and then it was kind of interesting because partway through, um, I was at a place, it was in, in uh, Colorado called Funkworks, talking to the two guys there, um, Brad and Gordon. And it was really interesting because like, I just, I got again, those moments of inspiration that happened. Maybe that's why I called my brewery Blind Enthusiasm, but this moment of inspiration where I was talking to them and I was like, man, I could do this. Not because I could do it as well as them. Like Gordon was a you know nationally awarded like a home brewer. He was a super talented guy. But I was just more just like the excitement in doing this, the excitement of building a business. I kind of got that spark again. That was actually after about a year and a half out of the video game business. Um, and in my time in Texas, I actually met a lot of the Texas Brewer Guild people. And, and those of you that you know, we come Canadians or Americans come to the UK and go you can actually drink beer on the street. You can actually, there's not ropes or big giant chain walls around where you can drink beer. Like we have all these crazy rules left over from prohibition that all these associations are always fighting. So the Texas Brewers Guild have just unbelievable distribution laws that they've been dealing with for years. And we had a lot of restrictions on like, just hours and brewing and like, you know, hours and service locations and all kinds of stuff in Alberta. So we said, well, I'll come back and volunteer for our Brewers Guild. Um, and so they actually literally, it's called uh, Alberta Small Brewers Association. Um, I came back, talked to one of the guys that started it and he goes, yeah, we have an opening for the exact director. And I went to this meeting where I thought I was going to like, just kind of learn about it, but then they gave me the job and I didn't get a choice, which was okay because that's what I wanted, but it was just really funny because I wasn't entirely prepared. So I did that. That was about 2013. Um, and in 2013 in Alberta, there were eight breweries across the province. We about 4 million people. Alberta's kind of like just, just to the east of British Columbia in Alberta. So that was 2013, eight breweries. 
Fast forward to 2021, we have at least 150 breweries. So it has just blown up um, hugely. And you know that that whole that whole industry is uh, it's really fun. I mean, we're part of it, and it's just it's gone to the point where it, when it started, I kind of knew everyone that was starting because I was in this role. But now I, it's it's just it's just expanded to this amazing degree, and you know it's really exciting to be a part of. It's nice nice to see that here too. I know in my time, I've been coming again from video games, ironically, to London for 25 years, and the beer scene has changed like immeasurably. So this is uh, me looking really goofy because I think we got won an award. I was like overly happy. Uh, uh, and I, this is, and, and it's a really sad moment when this is the best picture you can find of yourself to put on the screen. But that's all I got. Um, and this is actually me and my business partner. So um, BioWare was actually started by three medical doctors. All three of us uh, were practicing. And I, I left uh, medicine in 1999. I finished graduate in 92. Um, so Ray was my business partner. The, the reason for this slide is like, what's a team? So I'm going to kind of transition now from the kind of the background to like the real meat of this is a team is more than one person. Whenever you work with another person, that's a team. And so Ray and I were actually the joint CEOs of our company for 13 years. Then when we joined EA, we kind of split off because I really hated kind of like big company management and I kind of got back into the creative production. Um, and Ray was my business partner over that time. So hell of a guy, still great friends, and we managed to kind of not kill each other while trying to run a company together, which is pretty lucky. Uh, so one of the things I want to talk about is, like, you know, what, what's the point of an effective team? Uh, why would you bother having one? What's the purpose? Uh, a lot of reasons why. So for me, like I kind of went big and fast into the brewing space. Um, I have like the top one there is the one called the Monolith. That's the one where Doug, Doug down here, he's, he's with me. He runs, it's a mixed fermentation, all wood, spontaneous fermentation. We go half and half between those. Um, we have a small tap room I'll show later. That's one of the breweries. Second one is a, a very kind of traditional lager and ale brewery, mainly focusing on lagers, but also barrel aging program. Um, that includes a restaurant down below. We have a little shop as well. The team allows me to be standing here and not worrying that this is blowing up. So I can actually leave for a short time and there's awesome folks that are making sure everything, everyone works. And by kind of creating that philosophy throughout the organization, it kind, of, it kind of allows everyone to kind of trust each other and things can happen without one key person. Um, this is a terrible example of a baton pass. Like I, this is, again, the best I could find. Um, but the idea behind passing baton is like, one thing a team does is allows you to share the workload or pass the work. So one of the things with me and Ray when we were working together, we were like interchangeable as CEOs. If, if you know, some, you wanted to have, give someone another task or you wanted to kind of like, like spread, your, spread your influence, like passing the baton or the idea, the concept of sharing with people, sharing your workload is really valuable. And that's, again, having a high level of trust and respect allows you to do that. Um, this is a picture of uh, fishing in Yukon at two in the morning. The Yukon's way northern Canada. The sun never really sets. You get to go on holidays. So this, this to me was a real innovation. After working in video games for 20 years, I never really went on any holidays, never really took any time. The one time, the one time I took a family holiday, my boss called me like within an hour, said they needed like a presentation for the board of directors. And I just flipped out. I was like, you know, I took a one-time holiday. I was like super burned out. And so I've learned, have a team, share, make sure you can like the workload, you can, you can actually, you can survive basically. Um, last one, it's a lot more fun with the team. So this is us at a, a, a festival we were pouring at in, in, in Brussels. So a couple of the team members, a couple of friends, but uh, you know, like the idea of like, I actually find it's more fun to have people along for the ride. It's cool to do things solo, but if you can share, sharing is good. 
So one of the things I, uh, when I was uh, in that role in the Brewers Association, I would always ask new breweries, because a lot of them would come to us saying, hey, I want to start a brewery. How do you do it? What are the steps you need to take? I was always, my number one thing, and I saw this because of my experience in video games, was just what are you trying to accomplish? What is your goal with your brewery? Um, good example here. Uh, so the bottom left is the Haynes Brewing Company in Haynes, Alaska. And in this particular picture, that's not even a real building. That's the remains of a movie set that uh, was done years before the brewery started. They actually put a three, three hex system in there and sold only growlers. Uh, so there's not even packaging. That's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is one of the biggest brewing complexes in the world, Coors in Golden, Colorado. I don't know how many millions of hex they do, but this is the two ends of the spectrum. Um, all of us are probably somewhere between those things. And when you start your company, you gotta think, well, where do I wanna end up? Like, and then for me, it was, it was really helpful to have been through a pro process of being in a giant company, because I was kinda like, I wanna be smaller, I wanna be boutique, I wanna have like a, you know, a very direct-to-consumer kind of feel, so I knew exactly where I was gonna fit. So whenever someone's making a team, you have to think of the concept of what your goal is and what you're trying to accomplish. I didn't actually set out to have so many pieces to my business, so that's been something I've had to kind of evolve to um, and it's been fun. Like I guess it's I, I always have a really big problem with getting over kind of carried away. I'll start something, it'll grow, grow, grow. Um, at Bioware, we always joked about, oh, there's only going to be there's only be a, never more than 100 employees. And like I swore, and then then I went to 200, and all the guys that we worked with said, hey, you were lying. I'm like, I wasn't lying. I just didn't really realize it. And so I think one of the things the teams allow you to do, and is again like kind of scale to where you think is the right place to be. How do you make a team? Um, this one's actually kind of funny because uh, I got a great story about this. And one of the things in like sort of business research is selective hiring. And what selective hiring is, is just hiring people that you want to be part of it, being active in your hiring process, actually being selective. And so at Bioware, we had this concept where everyone would interview everyone. So up to about 40 people, you know, everyone would interview the person being hired. So you, this poor person would be subjected to 40, like not 40 interviews, but like interviews with 10 people, five people, like this whole big process. And at the end of it, we'd all sit in a room and we'd all sit down and decide, okay, do we want to hire this person? And anyone could veto the process. So anyone could put up their hand and say, we're not hiring them. And they were like, okay, now stand up and explain why. And so that was actually a really, really big innovation for us was to like, you could not have not hire someone, but you had to have a real reason. And the group had to have a consensus um, and literally uniform, but you had to make sure that people, people were fair in their hiring process, but also selective, people that you want, that thought would improve the business. Um, when we started our Austin studio, uh, we had a lot of guys that came over from Sony. So Sony had a studio in, in, in Austin making online games. One art director in particular, we talked to him about this hiring process and they were like, that's the weirdest thing. Like, you mean you get to pick who you work with? He goes, yeah, like that's the whole idea of working with people, you select. He goes, you mean I don't have to work with assholes? I would just get given people, like, by, like they would just show up and go, you only work with assholes if you want to. And so it was like, ah, that's, a, that's what an innovation, right? But it was really interesting because this was not a concept for other companies. And we were like kind of amazed at this. Uh, this next slide is from a Dragon Age. This is a, a scene where you're, um, one of the things you do is you build, and I guess maybe we always did in all our games, we made parties or teams of players, um, non-player characters, so computer players that would join you. Um, one of the interesting things that's going on in North America right now is like craft beer was growing like crazy, but it's flattened. It's flattened and it's even slightly down at this point. And one of the reasons is there's people, there, there's a lot of innovation in the drink space. There's like 
all the all the sort of refreshment beverages and and all the stuff like that. And I think one of the things we discovered is I put this slide in here pur purposely for a couple of reasons. One is that if you want like to appeal to a wide range of people, you have to have a diverse team. So you want to appeal to different market, you can't all look the same. We can't all be bearded white guys, right? That's the, the curse in some ways of the North American brewing market right now. You have to have more variety of people to apply, sort of expand your, your business. And frankly, that, from my perspective, that's just smart business. Um, you guys probably don't know what this is because you only watch Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> this is called Star Trek. Uh, and in this game, actually, uh, so this slide's kind of funny because I kind of trying to figure out a way of like, how do you pick up a like a picture demonstrating specialization? And that's what this is. So if you think, if you know Star Trek, which you, like, based on your laugh you do, uh, is like, these are all specialists. Every one of these people is a specialist in their job. And I think to some degree, that's really the way to make a team is understanding the roles you have to fill than filling them. So every one of these persons, people does something different. Um, one maybe more familiar example is a football example, proper football. I'm, I'm a football fan. I won't tell you what team because some people will hate me. Some people will love me. I'm not going to say. But the whole idea of a, a team is, is to everyone knows their place on the field. And that's one of the other really important things about teams and being successful in running teams is having clear objectives, roles, the box that you live in. Um, hierarchy, you know, it doesn't take place as much on a football pitch, but hierarchy is important as well. And I'll talk a bit more about that later. But having clear hierarchy, if there is a hierarchy, um, and that sort of idea of not never playing favorites is really important. Um, the real simple idea from this is like, you know, like if I'm the, if I'm the head brewer, I don't feel I have to work in the tap room. The center forward's not going to be sitting on the keeper's line trying to block the ball, except for maybe on a corner, but that's their role at that point. Everyone knows where they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to be doing, and you have to trust each other. So like, what I'm talking about today, a lot of it has to do with trust and mutual respect between team members and everyone understanding and having clarity of roles and actually being able to kind of work on that. And how that works, from my perspective, is, is working on the, on, the, on the company, not working in the company. So one of the best examples of this I ever had, um, and this is, so the idea behind it is like, you know, when you're in a business, like, and again, I know some of you aren't, you know, in charge of your companies, but you actually, it's very helpful to provide feedback to the people in charge. So for example, for me, one of the best pieces of feedback I ever got was I was working on a game, I was the lead designer, the um, producer making the project, and the co-CEO of the company. And in stomps the other lead designer, and he's like, you can't be all of these things. I'm like, I can, I can. And I was young and stupid at the time. Um, it, the realization to me is I should have extracted myself from that situation. And that's kind of how the game got done. I kind of pulled back and I let the team do their work. Um, very important, the idea of working on your company, if that's what your job is. Like if, and, I, and, I, and to be fair, like if you're a two-person business, like it's a small little brewery or three-person business, you're going to do everything. But it's really important to carve out a bit of time to think about you know, the broader things of what you do as a business and kind of like get in there in a way that actually allows you to sort of structure it, make things work, be nice, make sure your teams are working together. And that's kind of the way I took it. And my business partner and I, Ray, we actually ended up, like I said, up seven, like Tim mentioned, like seven studios across North America and Europe. And, you know, we, the only way it worked was by not trying to be micromanagers. And that was actually the, the next thing is the strings on the marionette concept um, was 
when you're actually doing this and, and, and having people work for you, you have to figure out the level of autonomy you want. Again, if you feel like you have to control everything, you want to have that super artisanal experience and touch everything, that's cool. But don't expect to have a whole bunch of other people on board like love and, love and life. Because if you're in there like kind of being micromanaging, it's not going to happen. But it's actually okay. There's some really amazing breweries that do that kind of really small artisanal concept. But just recognize what your natural tendency is. And so for me, like the, one of the ideas behind that is that like I kind of always think of like the level of autonomy I, I give my people. Um, and I actually give a lot. Like I, I actually, if anything, give in, in a sense too much just because I love to see what people come up with. Like I'm not, I don't by any stretch think I'm the super genius or whatever. Um, my success in my career have been actually encouraging and helping other people to come to their full potential and be really successful. Like the people that ran our video game projects, like, you know, what, like the guy that ended up doing uh, Mass Effect and Star Wars games, like he was just, he's an engineer, he said, I just want to do this, and we kind of grew him into this superstar. And, and as, a, as a, it never would have happened if we kind of told him what to do. And that's, for me, the really important concept of like, like the marionette model. Um, and that only works like if you have strategic clarity. So the idea of like autonomy and letting like, you know, people have to understand what they're doing. Strategic clarity is the idea that, you know, I know what I'm supposed to accomplish, and you know, I may not be giving a lot of direction or maybe general direction, but they know what they're supposed to do. We had a really good example. This is our new tap room, which is just open in that mixed ferment and sp spontaneous brewery. Um, we built this tap room. So the physical tap room was done. And then we sat down with the core team and go, well, how's this going to run? How's it going to work? Like, what's the service model? How many people, you know, we have a, that's the kitchen and the pouring location. So it's pretty small. Um, what are we trying to accomplish? And this was a point where kind of upward from the folks work, I was working with, they're like, you have to tell us what you want. So it was like, do you want to be a profit-driven, crank people through? Or do you want to be like an educational educational space where you're like training people on this unique beer and I'm like oh yeah it's that one it's the educational space so you create that clarity and then that then everything kind of like falls into place because if you have great people you work with they go oh this is going to be educational and, and so we have to hire people that really know about beer we have to focus on making spaces and times and moments where you can train people so the strategic clarity it, it's really important in all things like even the small stuff and big stuff but it has a huge impact on how things run and it gives the people that you know are running the business with you the, the freedom to do what they think is best in the context of the goal. If you have everyone like all super autonomous, it'll all fall apart. Like those of us, I mean, all of us have been through COVID. One thing I found in our business that we kind of got really siloed, like I have a head chef and the head chef kind of got siloed and didn't talk as much to the head brewers and everyone kind of broke up into these little pieces and it's been tough, but it's actually been really rewarding bringing everyone back together in the last, in the last couple months. In Canada, we're kind of like back into okay mode. Like Alberta was like the, the worst poster child in the world for COVID a couple months ago, but now we're back and everyone's kind of back together and we're sort of trying to muddle forward. And for me, this is, this is where I, I think of my sort of slightly devious slide where I call social engineering. Um, so one of the things as I work on the business, I create social scenarios and I sort of make sure people work together. So rather than being the one that says, hey, we're going to have a meeting and do this, I go, hey, why don't you two talk about X, Y, or Z? We actually had an interesting uh, chat lately. Um, where you know we've got the one brewery that does the, the, the what we call the clean beers and the mixed ferment beers. We're actually going to be making casks. So casks are a bit of a thing in Canada and becoming more so. We're, we actually put a beer engine and everything into our tap room, as you probably saw. So you know the, the two head brewers kind of got together and chatted about the cask process and the plans. And it's for me, it like warms my heart to hear them doing that because I've kind of like helped create that that framework where they can actually 
work together and, and, and figure those things out. Because that's really the goal, is to have all these pieces working autonomously and, and happening. And that takes some social engineering. It's interesting because it can also can happen the other way. Again, if you're you know, not in charge of the company or whatever, but you know, we had a situation, there's ways you can influence things. We had a situation where one of the brewers was like, hey, we should start meeting for beers again now that we can. And you know, it was really interesting because just, it just wasn't on our minds. Like We just had forgotten about that. And then suddenly we started meeting together for beers, and it's like, hey, we all get along. It's all jolly. And it was actually a really nice experience to, to do that. And that can be like, again, the social engineering can be anyone. Um, and again, it doesn't have to be that complex building a bridge in the woods over a river bullshit. It can just be like small little moments where people get together and talk with each other. One thing about teams that's super important is also fairness. As I said earlier, if you have a kind of flat equality oriented hierarchy, you can never favor, give favoritism to anyone. Like you have to have a, a fairness that's inherent, that's obvious, that people actually all agree with. If there's a person that's more senior, hey, and they get more decision-making power, that's cool. You know, I obviously do in some sense because I'm the owner of it, but even then when I'm in someone else's brewery, when I'm in one of the head brewer's breweries, I work for them. And that's my philosophy. I don't want special treatment. If I'm, if I'm dropping bottles on the uh, bottling line, I should be kicked in the ass like anyone else. Um, and so fairness is like, and respect is fundamental to this. Uh, and this is uh, sports American football. I apologize. I didn't find a, another uh, different uh, yelling at each other moment. But this, this for me encompasses what I think of two of my core roles. One is coach, one is referee. So coach is, is kind of like coaching out that you know, positive behaviors out of, out of people, trying to teach them, help them kind of be what the best they can be. Then the refereeing one is you always have conflict, like invariably. There's con some kind of conflict. This is from Dragon Age as well. Um, not usually wizard battles in, in the brewery, but there could be in theory. Um, but the idea of like conflict is actually quite healthy and it's necessary. If you have a business where people care and there's passion, if you don't have conflict, you've got kind of a problem because that means everyone's kind of just going through the motions. You have to have respect, trust, and you have to kind of manage conflict in a way that's actually productive. And it can be very, very effective in, in sort of improving what you do and understanding how to take difficult feedback, how to deal with hard things. Um, that managing conflict is super important. Again, as my job as a referee when I'm working on the business, that's, that's one of the things I do. And it almost always is conflict between little parts of the business in my, in my case. The last thing is, um, you know, this was actually a bus we had in Austin for a party, uh, we, and, and, there, and it was smelled really bad because like, people filled it with beer and then never washed it out, but that was something we did. Uh, went on to, and the idea behind the bus is that it's another metaphor um, for the seats on the bus. So one of the key things on this is like, in your company you have a certain number of seats, and you have a certain number of people in those seats. Um, and there's times where it doesn't work out, like as, as all the stuff I've said about respect, trust, communication, etc. when someone doesn't do that, they're off the bus. You've got to kick them off. And that's just something that you always have to do. And that's the selective hiring is also selective firing, uh, that side of it. But, you know, I'm always very oriented to, like, like lots of provide people opportunities, but you have to be aggressive about taking people out of the system that are breaking it. One of the really common things that we dealt with um, in the video game space was, like, these super talented, incredibly good technical people that were absolutely awful to work with. Um, and it was really, and, 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 and you think it's a joke, but it's absolutely, it's absolutely true. Um, there was always those rare people that were great to work with and technically gifted. But what we found, we, I literally at one point, we had one guy that was just, he never finished anything, but he was super brilliant. He got great things started, hard to work with. We paired him with another person that, that actually would finish his work and was like, you know, get it done. And then eventually we're like, this poor guy is like just picking up pieces from this other person. And we discovered, hey, he was a superstar. And the original guy was a cancer because he was actually also grumping about everything else. And so we removed the, the, the talented but 
difficult to work with person and things blossomed. Like those, those I think talented terrors or whatever the term people have for them usually aren't worth it. Um, and if they want to go off and start their own thing and, and be independent and make something amazing, like all the power to them. But you know, it, you have to be again selective in your firing as well. Like you want to make sure the people on the team you know, they're putting their best foot forward. Um, another thing to remember these days as well is, you know, and it's great, great to see, because again, I was a medical doctor. I saw the other side of the world where, you know, folks, and it was really weird because I was like 20, 23 years old and folks would come to me for counseling, you know, during medical sessions about their difficulties in their job and the rest. And that is that, you know, the issues of, of mental illness and, and challenge and stress in the world today, having that little extra bit of compassion is really valuable. And I think that, you know, over our career, one of the, one of the guys, I'm so happy we didn't ever, he never actually left, but we had this guy, little like years and years ago at, at Bioware, this artist, super talented guy, but really having a lot of personal troubles. We gave him a, like a leave absence, came back. He just, I just heard he got his 25th year, like, trophy for working there. So that he's the longest serving employee at our former company. So the fact that both me and my partner had the had the patience with him and the compassion, like it's just so heartwarming to sort of see how well he's done. That's the other side of firing is don't jump to it. Understand first and then understand if people are having problems and then also be compassionate. And that's how you end up with a group like this. And Doug, Doug is uh, right in the middle of this. He's, he's my head brewer that's with me and so he probably didn't know the slide was there but this is our brewing team and, and our, the other person in this team is probably one of the most important. Um, he's not, he's sort of part of the team. He's, he's our uh, heating and cooling guy. Whenever our glycol goes down, he's, he's in the, in the group hug as well. And he's, he's one of our best pals because boy, as a brewery, as you know, when there's no glycol, there's big trouble. Um, and that's it. That's the, the presentation. Um, hope you guys found it valuable. I always want that if you can take one or two things out of a talk like this, that's my goal. Um, and I hope you guys had something useful. The Brewers Journal podcast is a production of Reby Media, produced and hosted by me, Tim Sheehan. And me, Ross McPherson. Sound engineering is by Ross McPherson. Series supervision by John Young. The executive producer is Rory Harris. And a special thank you to Greg Zestchuk of Blind Enthusiasm. Mm -hmm.